If you take God's precious word and turn the book of Proverbs, please. God willing, we'll be starting a brand new chapter tonight. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. The title of the message tonight is Surety for a Friend. Surety for a Friend. And uh, we forgot to mention uh, Rick and Glenda while they're away uh, with the death of his uh, stepdad uh, dealing with that. It's been a hard year for them. It's been a lot going on for them. In our proverb tonight, Solomon addresses the matter of suretyship. By the way, I love how the Proverbs address such a vast array of life topics, you know. We've been dealing with the strange woman for a while, and suddenly we're talking about suretyship. And uh, I just absolutely love it, because life has a vast array of issues that we have to deal with. And the Bible has something to say about every one of them. Solomon says, verse 1, My son, if thou be surety... For thy friend. Societies generally hold an individual responsible for their own conduct. If someone robs a store and they get on the news, they give a description of the robber, not the store clerk. Right? Thank God for that. And thankfully, when your neighbor fails to pay their electric bill, they don't come to your house to turn off your electricity. They go to theirs. When a friend of mine failed to pay his house payment once, then the, the bank didn't foreclose on my house. They foreclosed on his. And when people don't pay their bills, the collectors don't start calling and harassing you at the house. They call your neighbor. Society doesn't hold us responsible for the conduct of other people. But society does recognize Suretyship, which allows society to do just that. Hold one person responsible for the conduct of another. A surety is someone who makes himself responsible for another person's conduct. When uh, I used to uh, uh, put people in jail all the time and arrest people uh, and serve warrants and stuff... I saw a lot of surety bonds. Brother Shepherd's seen them. And uh, they're called surety bonds. So uh, if that robber, for example, did get caught and got put in jail, and he wanted to get out of jail, then he might call a bail bondsman, and the bail bondsman would put up a surety bond for him. And with that surety bond, if the robber doesn't show up for court, then the surety is on the hook and has to pay a penalty, in essence, to the court for the robber not showing up. He's a surety. He becomes responsible for the conduct of another person. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be responsible for what another person does or does not do. I don't want to have to worry about whether or not someone shows up for court. I want to be responsible for my own conduct, not another person's. I don't have to worry about if someone does or does not pay their bills. I want to be responsible for me. 
The good news is being a surety is completely voluntary in all parts of societies that I know of. Definitely ours and definitely the culture that Solomon was writing in. Nobody is going to force you to become a surety for another person. Nevertheless, people voluntarily make themselves sureties all the time. So Solomon warned us, saying, look back in your text, if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger. Now at the beginning of this verse, if you would underscore the words, thy friend. Thy friend. Unless we are in the bell bond business, and we're getting paid for being a surety, then uh, most of us would never become surety for somebody we didn't know. It would be a friend of ours, it's, or, or a, a strong acquaintance. If not a, a friend, then a relative, right? It would be a strong acquaintance of ours. And generally speaking, people become surety for their friends, for somebody they know, for a relative or a close companion. How many of you have ever been surety for someone you know before? Anybody? You? Anybody else? You have? Nobody else? Hey, how about that? Now, if you would, you just got through underscoring the word, uh, thy friend. Now underscore the words, a stranger. A stranger. So in this proverb, we have three parties. I, the friend, the surety, and the stranger. That's the three parties. The friend... The surety, that'd be you, if you were the surety, and the stranger. Three parties. The surety is the one made responsible for the friend, for the, the actor. The stranger is the person the surety is now responsible for. I'm sorry, responsible to. And in uh, uh, the... the uh, in case of the bell bondsman, for example, the friend would be the robber. The surety would be the bell bondsman. And the stranger would be the court. He's responsible to the court for the actions of the robber. Make sense? All right. But most of the time, uh, again, a three-party surety ship would not have to do with you making money by being a surety. It would be someone you know like a friend. And, and so, as the proverb says this, so the, the three-party surety ship would look like this. The friend is someone who wants to borrow money, but doesn't have the credit. The surety is someone who co-signs on the loan, making himself responsible to pay it back. If the friend fails to do so. The stranger is the person making the loan. Whether it is a bank or an individual. How many of y'all have co-signed on a loan before? Alright, we got more hands going up. Then you've been a surety for someone before. When you co-signed on that loan, you became a surety for a friend. I assume it was a friend, right? Who, who, who did you... Was it a, what, a relative? Relative. You're as a relative? Yeah. Almost everybody will do it for a relative. But some would do it for 
you know, a really, really close friend, but it's someone you know. And when Solomon is talking about striking your hand with a stranger, he's basically saying, when you've given a stranger your handshake in front of witnesses, legally obligating yourself as a surety for your friend. Now, we used to shake hands quite often on business deals in our culture in the United States, but those days are pretty much gone, okay? So the way we would strike hands with a stranger today is when we go to the car dealership or we go to the title office or wherever we go to and we put our name on the stranger's paperwork, okay? Because when you co-signed for your relative... Was the person loaning the money also a relative? It was? No. Did you know the person loaning the money? That was the stranger, see? You see how that works? So the three parties is the friend, the surety, and then the stranger, the person loaning the money, for example. Okay? And so when you sign your hand, I'm sorry, when you sign your hand, <laughs> when you sign your name, on that dotted line, on that loan application, for example, you just struck hands with a stranger. Follow the, what he's saying here? Uh, again, I think the most common surety ship that we have in the United States is when someone co-signs on a car loan. It happens pretty frequently. And the Bible is letting us know that generally speaking, making yourself a surety is not a wise thing to do. For Solomon said, when you sign your name on that dotted line, look in verse 2, thou art snared with the words of thy mouth. <clears throat> or in our case, we're snared with the words on the loan application, which when we sign our name on it, that then becomes the words of our mouth. I promise to do this and to pay this much money back and to do that. We sign our name, that then becomes our words. You see, we put our name on their words. So you're, you, 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 you're snared with the words of your mouth. A, a snare is a trap to catch a game animal. In our language today, I mean, because we don't set snares too often. I mean, does anyone set snares? for You don't set snares? I know you're an outdoorsman. But today in our language, we wouldn't say you're snared. We would say you're on the hook. Okay? And it's still the same principle. It's, it's like a snare, sort of. A, a hook has bait. It gets, it gets caught or ensnared in that hook. So we would use that today. You would say, you're on the hook by the words of your own mouth. Okay? And so uh, anytime you co-sign for someone, you need to assume that the person you're co-signing for will not pay the debt. Now, this isn't assassinating your loved one's character. This is a biblical principle. When you co-sign on a loan, you need to assume that the person you're co-signing for will not pay the debt. Whether you're, you're co-signing uh, for a car or a house, you need to assume that you will have to pay the full price of that car. That you will have to pay the full price of that house. And if you cannot 
afford the car or the house, then you shouldn't sign for it. Because that's exactly what you're promising to do if your friend or relative doesn't. And there are basically two reasons why you need to assume this. First, and again, be patient with me. <laughs> it's written in Scripture, so be patient with me. Don't, don't get your feathers ruffled. And I'm preaching to myself too. But first, here's why you need to assume it. If the bank won't loan the money to your friend, there's a reason for it. Okay, there's a reason for it. Most people have bad credit because they have a history of not paying their bills. Just simple as it can be. So if the bank is afraid, if the professional loan people are afraid of loaning money to your friend, then you should be a little afraid of co-signing for them. Instead of putting yourself on the hook for their debt so they can get a new car, it would be wiser and better for them to repair their old car, drive it for a few more years, rebuild their credit, save their money, so they can go get a loan on their own. Okay. Second, the second reason you should assume that you will pay the debt is because we don't know what a day may bring. Perhaps your loved one got on a you know got a bad deal, something happened, maybe they got sick, their credit got bad, but but morally, they have very good character and they would always pay you back, and you trust them that they'll pay you back. Even if that's the case. Now you're shaking your head. <laughs> did you have a bad experience co-signing? She did. And she's over there going, Amen, Solomon, you know. But, <laughs> but, but even if that's the case, even if the character is good, we don't know if your loved one's going to get hit by a car. We don't know if they're going to get sick. We don't know if they're going to lose their job. Like Brother Pete, you know. What, what if Brother Pete, what if you just co-signed a loan for Brother Pete? Brother Pete's got a good paying job. He can make those payments and suddenly he has no job. We don't know what a day may bring. Even the people with the best character may suddenly have a heart attack. And you are then left paying for that house or that car note. You see? So assume that you're going to pay for the whole thing. And if your friend doesn't pay the loan, and you get stuck with it, then don't be mad at your friend. Solomon says, you have to blame yourself. Look back in your text. Thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. Nobody forced you to sign your name. Nobody signed your name for you. It's your fault. You were taken by the words of your own mouth, by the pen strokes of your own hand. The first time my daughter Lauren purchased a new car, she was young and she needed someone to co-sign on the loan because she didn't have credit built up yet. So I co-signed on the loan, but I only did so because I was willing and able to pay for that car if I had to. If she got hit by a bus, hopefully in a different car, you know. But if she got hit by that bus, I would have been able to pay for the car. If she would have lost her job or got sick, 
I would have been able to absorb the cost in, in the financial burden. I would have been able to pay for it. It wouldn't have hurt me. may have made things a little tighter at the house, but it wouldn't have hurt me. So when I signed that note out of love for my daughter, I followed the wise principles here in Scripture, and I assumed that I was going to have to pay it. You had to pretend in your head I'm going to pay this note. And if the math doesn't add up, don't put your name on the paper. Thank you, brother. Just don't put your name on the paper. Amen. A few years back, I was contacted by a former neighbor who asked me for some advice. A neighbor I used to live next door to in Fort Worth owned a couple acres up there, and they own. I think four acres next to mine. And a uh, nice little place out in the country. They were good neighbors. And she knew that uh, law enforcement, and, and uh, especially auto theft, so she called me up. The neighbor lady called me up uh, that I used to live next door to. And w- when, I, when I sold my house and moved to Athens, uh, the person who bought my house the 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 deal almost didn't close because they were having trouble getting funding on their end, and so I assumed their credit must not have been very good because they were really trying to get funding, and for a while it didn't look like it was going to go through. But they finally got that loan, finally got me a check, everything finally went through. His credit, though, apparently wasn't very good. But sometime after he moved into the into my old home. And settled in there and made friends with the neighbor lady and her husband next to me. He decided that he wanted to purchase a new Kubota tractor. I mean, who wouldn't? I'd love to have a new Kubota tractor. The problem was, he had bad credit. So he asked his neighbors, these elderly people, to sign on the loan. For him. And they did. But instead of making his loan payments, he left town, moved to Houston, and took the tractor with him. <laughs> Leaving them with the debt that they agreed to pay. And so now they're forced. What do we do? Do we say we can't afford it and we don't pay it and now our credit's ruined and and our name is bad? Or do we pay for a tractor that we don't even have? You know? So they should have never signed that loan because if that man had a history of paying his bills, then the bank would have financed that tractor for him. But if you made that mistake and you co-signed on that loan that you can't afford, Solomon gives you some advice. He says, if you've struck your hand with that stranger, with that loan company, he says, look in verse 3, do this now, my son, and deliver thyself. Or get yourself out of this mess. (laughs) Free yourself from the snare that you've got yourself into. He says, when thou art come into the hand of thy friend. Now, now think of the words he's saying here. 
I, like, I really like how Solomon words this. He says, basically, you have now come into the hand of your friend. When you signed your name on that dotted line, you have now come into the hand of your friend. Meaning, because you signed your name on that loan application, your friend now holds all the cards, not you. Now your finances aren't in your hand. Now they're in your friend's hand, whether or not they are going to pay that bill. By saying that you've come to the hand of your friend, it would be like Solomon saying, it's all in your friend's hands now. So today we might say something like this. We might say, well, my life is in your hands, okay? Meaning whether we live or die, it's entirely up to them. It's in their power. And in the same way, when you coast on that loan, whether you pay that note or not, is now entirely up to your friend. It's in their hands. Being a surety creates quite a role. You hear me? Becoming a surety creates a role reversal. Because they had bad credit, that new Kubota tractor was all in your hands. They could not get that tractor without you. But when you sign that name, it's all now in their hands. Because you signed your name on that loan. Whether or not you pay for that car, that tractor is now in all their hands. Solomon says, here's what you do when you've come into the hand of your friend. Look back at your text. Go humble yourself. Make sure thy friend. Pester them. Make sure. Pester them. Encourage them. Pressure them. Beg them. Stay on them to pay that loan each month until they have paid it off. In, until you have been set free from the snare that you got yourself into. Look in verse 4. Look at his advice. The, the, the Proverbs are so wise. He says, Give not sleep to thine eyes, nor slumber to thine eyelids. What is he telling us when he says that? This is something you don't want to put off. This is something you don't want to delay. Don't wait to do this. Listen, how many of y'all have ever been a landlord before? I know my wife has. Anybody else? No? How many of y'all ever loaned money before and you, went to, you had to collect it on a regular basis? Anybody? One, two, three. All right. If there's one thing a landlord knows or someone who loans money knows, it's this. It's you better get your rent as soon as your tenant gets their check. <laughs> Did y'all agree with that? You better because they are so irresponsible that if you don't, the money's going to be spent before that rent's paid. Is that right, Miss Tammy? That's right. I mean, my dad, there are a few things sacred, almost sacred, not quite sacred, but almost sacred in my parents' household. One for my dad, one for my mom. I hope they're watching tonight, and I think they'll know what they are. For my dad, for years and years, my dad would, uh, 
he would build uh, steel buildings and he would lease them out to people, whether a body shop or a, a detail shop or a transmission shop or whatever it was. He would build steel buildings and lease them out to people. And so they had to make rent payments to him every month. Well, Friday, for a long time, was my dad's collection day. And listen, he could be, you know how God promised to bring Israel, like if he scattered them, you know, far across the world, no matter how far he scattered them, if they turned toward the temple and prayed, he'd always bring them back to Israel. It didn't matter how far in the, away from Athens my dad got when Friday came, he'd come back, it's collection day. Right? Because my dad knew that if they got their checks in on Friday and he waited till Monday, that money's going to be spent somewhere else. He's going to have to wait a week or two or however long it's going to be. I know what you're thinking. What's the sacred thing for your mom? I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. My mother would skin me alive. But collection day, collection day. So he's saying, you go to your friend. You make sure your friend. You, you shore this thing up about them making these payments and you stay on them. Don't give sleep to your eyes. Don't give slumber to your eyelids. Because people like this a lot of times... They're not going to save that money up and be responsible. You've got to get that money now. Once a debtor grows accustomed to being late on their payments, you run the risk of it getting easier and easier for them to no longer make them. Uh, I've rented houses out before, and if someone starts and they're making their payments on time, their, their rent payments on time, and things are going well, good. The moment they start getting late, you have to start worrying. The moment they miss something, you've got to start worrying. Because once they get used to missing it or get used to being late, they're just going to keep being late. And once they get behind, they start throwing their hands up thinking, oh well, I can't make it up now. I'm too far behind. A lot of times that's when they'll renege. My dad that ha- had that happen on him uh, last year, I think it was, with a place that he was renting out. And uh, so Solomon says, go now, stay on top of it. Verse 5, deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter. Now there are two things being described here. In first is the hand of the hunter. Do you know what a hunter does? He hunts stuff. Now how many of you all hunt by sitting at the house and waiting on that deer to come knock on your door. Nobody. You do? Oh, okay. But <laughs> say, give me your address. I'll come hunt with you. Brother Shepherd doesn't wait around the house for those fish to come jumping his, you know, in his bucket either. You've got to go to them. A hunter hunts people down. And so what happens when you get on the hook? Man, I tell you, if you never had debt collectors calling you up every chance you, they can, oh, I tell you, that's no fun, is it? 
That's no fun. And they'll start calling you up and everything. And, and uh, he's saying, deliver your, yourself as a, as a roe from the hand of the hunter. You now become the prey. You now become the target. And now the collectors are after you. And in the United States, we have protections for the roe. And one of them is where I work. I work for the federal bankruptcy court. And I see the rows come in all the time to court. That's the debtor. I see the hunters coming all the time into court. That's the creditor. And there's always this rift between them and, and the creditors trying to get as much as they can. And the, and the, the row, the hunted, is trying to get as much relief as they can. So he says, look, don't become that creditor. Don't become that person that this guy owes. Stay on top of it. He said, deliver yourself like a deer from the hunter. Look back in your text as we begin to close. And as a bird from the hand of the fowler. When I think of the hunter, I think of collection agencies hunting you down to, so they can get uh, you to pay your debt. Or in those other societies from those who might throw you in prison or make you an indentured servant. That's actually probably a little more righteous. That if you don't pay your bills, you'll work it off. You don't just get a clean slate. When I think of the fowler, I think of the, you know, uh, uh, the fowler with a, with, a, with a net to snare someone. You put that bait down there. When I think of the fowler, I think of the attractive new car. I think of the promises that your friend uh, uh, tells you that they'll make the payment and, and the allurement of making your friend happy and maybe making that relationship a little more closer. And it lures you into the net. But you know what happens? When a friend ends up stiffing you on the bill and owing you money, the relationship doesn't grow closer. It goes further away. So don't think that. Well, years ago, I sold a house to someone that didn't have the credit or the down payment that was required to finance the house. But they won the house. So the woman got her mom and dad to sign the loan, which they could not afford. They simply did not have the money to make the payments on that house. But they signed it anyway. They put themselves on the hook, and before too long, the bank was selling the house. I know why the mom and dad signed those papers. They loved their daughter. They loved their grandkids. But mom and dad were biblically wrong. They were wrong. They were financially wrong. If daughter and son-in-law didn't have the credit or the savings to buy the home then they weren't ready to become homeowners. Hey, some people aren't meant to be homeowners. Some people can't take care of a house. Some people are better off renting, having an apartment, and letting someone else take care of the maintenance and them living under another person's structure. Because they're not structured enough to handle their business on their own. So it would have been better for them to have done without the house than to have moved into the house, lost the house, and destroyed their loved one's credit, 
making it like their own. Solomon's wise, the scriptures are for our good. And uh, so hopefully we'll apply that tonight to our hearts. And when that time comes in the future, ask ourselves, can I afford to be in the fowler's net? Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. We thank you, Father, for you being so wise and so um, good about everything you tell us. That you have wisdom to address every issue that we face in life. Things like this, Lord, that may have never come up if we were just preaching topical messages. But going through your word... We're able to see all the topics, Lord, that you address. And we pray for our obedience to it and for safe travels home for everyone here tonight. In Jesus' wonderful name.